Okay, we are reading in, in Acts chapter 14, and in this section, we, just to, to, to put it as a place of reminder in Acts chapter 14, that Paul had gone first to, to uh, uh, the first city that they, they preached in, in a major way, where there was this huge impact, was this uh, 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 Antioch, not the Syrian Antioch, but the Pisidian Antioch, and then they had to flee from there, uh, because the, this, the city became up in arms over some of the things that they said, and they had to flee from that city, uh, because there was, there was uh, a lot of persecution coming against them. As we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 50, it talked about the persecution had been instigated against Paul and Barnabas. So then they went down to Iconium. They preached Jesus there as well, and they stayed there for some time preaching. But then again, there was troubles that raised up against them, and they, they had to move on. And it says in Acts chapter 14, verse 5, And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and they fled to the cities of uh, like Caonia, specifically Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding regions. And so then they so they go now from Iconium, so it was, it was Antioch, now Iconium. Then they go down to Lystra. They end up praying for a man. He gets healed. The people see it and they think that Paul and Barnabas are gods and they start trying to make offerings to them. And all the city comes out to make offerings to them. And so then they go and they try to control the crowds. When they finally realize what's going on, they go to control the crowds and to say, hey, we're, we're human beings. We're men just like you. What are you doing? And so they're able to restrain the crowds. But then the Jews come from Antioch and Iconium and they tell these people in Lystra that, you know, these people are just rabble-rousers and troublemakers. So they say, okay, we'll deal with them. And they actually... Uh, uh, beat and stone Paul and, and, and they think he's dead and they leave him for dead. And so you think about all these things that happen to them. And they're in all these places and the law, the legal system is coming against them. So the leaders in each of these cities are coming against them. So in some way they're breaking the law. <gasps> How dare we break the law? If, it's, if, if the leaders say we shouldn't preach the gospel, then we shouldn't preach the gospel. No, they broke the law. They did these things. They preached the word in spite of what some of the leadership of those cities were saying. Now, not that they were breaking any Roman law, but they were certainly going against the magistrates of those towns. And then we read how how uh, uh, they went back through and they were encouraging people, but at the end of this chapter, we're going to see how they had gone to the church and they started giving the first missionary rundown of, of, of missionary meeting, what was happening. But can you imagine what would happen? If we sent out missionaries to a certain country and word came back that the authorities in that country didn't want the missionaries there. And the missionaries were disobeying the authorities of that country. And so they would move from one city to another. And in one city after another, 
they were against the missionaries that we had just sent out. The people didn't want them there. The people felt they were breaking the law. They were causing all sorts of strife in these cities. All sorts of people were against them. There were formal movements that were being raised up against them. So people, remember, had come from Antioch and Iconium, traveled 90 miles to Lystra to say, hey, these are bad people. 90 miles was a long way back then. Can you imagine if we heard that the missionary team that we had just sent out from our church was being followed by the national authorities of that region and actually had undergone what the national authorities considered valid uh, discipline, I think that as a church we would become very concerned as, what are these missionaries doing? And then, on top of that, we hear word back that people are offering to those missionaries that we sent out offerings, as if those missionaries themselves are gods and idols calling them Zeus and Hermes, giving them the names of gods. I think we'd become really concerned. And one of the things, the way, the the response is when you become concerned about a certain missionary is, a typical Christian response is, we'll cut off support for them. Let's just cut off support for them because there's all these problems that are starting. We have a tendency sometimes to react and to say, hey, that Christian must be doing something wrong because word is coming back about them. And the Bible has a specific specific passage which deals with this in, in 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, Paul is is instructing, um, is instructing Timothy on what not to do and what to do in the church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, it says, 1 Timothy 5:19, he's telling Timothy, as Timothy now is, is the pastor of a church, Paul's instructing him in verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will also be fearful of sinning. So he says, don't accept, don't, he says, don't receive an accusation against an elder on the basis, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So, you can't accept an accusation against them based upon hearsay. Well, so-and-so said this about them, had heard such-and-such about them. Even if there's five so-and-sos had heard such-and-such about them. That's hearsay. They didn't see or hear it themselves. Not only are we not supposed to accept hearsay about an elder, we're not supposed to take it even on the basis of one witness, of one person to come forward and say, I saw that elder holding the hand of another woman. Imagine you are. Don't accept it. Don't even receive that testimony on the basis of a single witness, it says. And it says, and then if it turns out on the basis of two or three witnesses, it turns out that it's witnessed by multiple people, that they were eyewitnesses to this. 
that they saw, that they heard. Then it says in verse 20, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all. So in other words, you go to them and you say, is this true? What's happening? What's going on? And if they refuse and continue in sin, then you rebuke them in the presence of all. You know, sometimes we are so quick to take a message about a person that's pure hearsay and to bury that person in our own hearts. Let me give you another example. There's a, there's a famous baseball player, and I don't know him personally. I've never met the man. But everybody says that, that, that he's, he's taken steroids and he denies it. And so my son comes to me and says, you know, so-and-so took steroids. I said, how do you know that? Oh, well, you know, look how big he is. So, well, I know a lot of guys who are six foot five and, and bulky, especially guys who work out a lot like he does. Well, no, no, he must be taking them. Everybody said, I said, did you ever see him take steroids? He looks at me like I'm crazy. I said, have you ever talked to somebody who was an eyewitness to this thing? He said, I don't know that he took steroids. For all I know, he says he didn't, so he didn't. At least give the man his day in court. So people who say that they saw him do it can be cross-examined. He said, I don't know that he did. Who am I to say that he did? I don't know it. It's so easy to take hearsay and bury a person. I have no idea whether this individual did or he didn't. But he said he didn't, so he didn't. Until somebody can prove that he did. And presumably it's going to go to court someday. And whoever said that he did is going to be cross-examined. And you can find out what he said, who said this. And, you know, then my son says, well, you know, the newspaper says this and this and this. And I said, you know, I have one one millionth the reputation of that man. And I can show you newspaper articles about me that are really untrue. What reporters have said about me that's untrue. And then I read these things and I email the reporter. I said, you know, this isn't quite right what you wrote here. You know, of course, there's no response, there's never a retraction, and even if there were a retraction, nobody reads retractions. You know, we hear things, and especially against believers. Remember I read to you last week from this book, Tortured for Christ, and, and just the pains that they went through. Well, this man who went through this 14 years of imprisonment, this pastor in Romania, was bought out by American Christians in like 1967. And you say, what do you mean he was bought out? I'll tell you a story about my own family. My own family, uh, um, from my own family, we, we had, uh, uh, parts of our family were from Russia. My grandmother's brother and sister, uh, a sister and two brothers, lived in, in the Soviet Union. Our family bought them out. They were Jews living in the Soviet Union. We bought them out in the 1960s. Our family did. I say we. I was a little kid. I didn't contribute to this. I don't know. But the families got together, and we paid an enormous amount. It was something like $45,000 in the 1960s to buy out three people from the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union would sell Jews to people... To, to family members in the world as a way of making money. They would sell human beings, and we were glad to be able to buy them and buy them out. This man was bought out from Romania, from a, a, a Soviet-run prison in Romania, by Christians who had heard about him and heard about his plight. He didn't want to leave. 
Romania. But they, the other Christians had encouraged him to go, to go speak about the plight of the Romanian Christians. But when he's leaving, look what the authorities said to him. This is the authorities from the secret police in Romania. They said to him, before leaving Romania, I was called twice to the secret police. They told me that money had been received for me. Sell its city, Romania sells its citizens for money because of the economic crisis that the com- communism has brought to our country. They told me, quote, go to the West and preach Christ as much as you like, but don't touch us, don't speak a word against us. We will tell you frankly that we plan for you, what we plan for you if you do tell what happened. First of all, for $1,000 we can find a gangster to kill you or we will kidnap you, unquote. Then he says, I've been in the same cell with an Orthodox bishop, Vasile Liul, who had been kidnapped in Austria and brought to Romania. All of his fingernails were torn out. I've been with others from Berlin. Romanians have been kidnapped from Italy and Paris. They told me further, quote, We can also destroy you morally by speaking a story about you with a girl, theft, or some sin of your youth. The Westerners especially Americans, are very easily deceived, unquote. You know, so, so you hear about this pastor, and then all of a sudden you hear a rumor. Oh, well, you know, he slept around a lot with people in his congregation. Then what happens? You know, so people can speak a word. The Bible warns us not to receive the testimony against an elder based on hearsay. And that's a good practice, not just on an elder, against other individuals. And so sometimes when people say stuff, I say, look, I don't know. And I go to that individual. And I say, you know, this is what, what, what's being said. Could you tell me about what happened? And usually there's some element from which this story began and they can clarify it for me. But one day you will be on the receiving end of hearsay where somebody will be saying something about you. And remember back to this. And with missionaries, the poor people have to walk on eggshells. Because if any word gets back, and it bothers us so much that, you know, a word should get back that the missionaries did something against the authorities. Oh, you did? Well, we're cutting off your support. These people, it's so dangerous for them. And what these people went through, what Paul and Barnabas went through, and to see that the church stood by them, is something that we ought to remember. Now, let's, let's pick this up in Acts chapter 14. Verse 19. But as Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and he entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after that, After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue on in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, so they... After Paul gets stoned in, in, in Lystra, 
he gets up, they go to Derby, the next city, because they had intended to go there. He preaches the gospel. Then he comes back and he goes through Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, the three cities that had come against him. It wasn't open-air preaching anymore as much as far as we could see at this point. It says they, he went back and he strengthened the churches. So, in other words, there had been disciples been made. There were churches that were raised up. There were home groups that were raised up. And he went to strengthen the disciples that had been made on the missionary journey a little bit earlier. And so, his mode of operation here was they would go in, they would preach the gospel, they would establish churches, and then it says, and then they appointed for them in every church, they appointed elders for them in every church. They would appoint elders, as we said last week. Elders were by appointment, not by election. Deacons come by election, we had learned from from Acts chapter 6, I believe it was. But elders were appointed, and they were appointed through prayer and fasting. They fasted and they prayed. They didn't just say, hey, you know, you're a good-looking guy. Why don't you be the elder here? No, it was through prayer and fasting. They went into each city. They prayed and they fasted. And, they, 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 and God would raise up an elder. They say, you're, you're appointed elder. Now, didn't this guy have an ordinary, regular job? You know, being a tent maker or, you know, whatever the guy, or a carpenter? Yeah, he did. But he took upon himself to be the leader of this little church. There are things that are sometimes thrust upon us as believers, and all of a sudden we have to raise up and take on new responsibilities. And this is why when you're in a campus group and you have the opportunity to teach a Bible study, teach it. If they're asking you to teach a Bible study, teach it. Because this is the best way to learn. You don't know what's coming down the road. And remember... As he says, you have been given little and you were faithful with it, you will be now entrusted with much. Each time we take something, a responsibility that's given to us in the Lord, and we exercise that responsibility, more is given to us and we are entrusted with more. This is the scriptural way. Then it says in verse 24, they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. So, you might remember that they had passed through Perga on the way in, on the missionary journey. They never spoke there, though. On the way out, they're speaking now in Perga. Now in verse 26, from there they set sail to Antioch. So they never went through Syria. uh, 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 I'm sorry, Cyprus. They never went through Cyprus which they had come through initially, they sailed directly back from Asia Minor, Minor they, they sailed to Syria, and they sailed to Antioch. Now, this is a different Antioch. This is where the home church is. This is Syrian Antioch. There's an Antioch in Syria, and then there's an Antioch in Asia Minor. Asia Minor was the Antioch they preached in. Uh, 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 um, the Antioch, Syria, was the home church, Paul's home church. So from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They began to report all the things that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. So, here they are. Um, they're, they're in this church and they come back and they have their first missionary meeting. In verse 27, when they arrived, they gathered the church together and they began to report all the things that God had done with them. 
and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. So this long time often speaks of years. So they went out, and it may have been a year or two that they, they came back to their home church, get built up, get strengthened, but they had a missionary meeting. And they're sharing this with the body of Christ. Do you see the community here? There's this community of the body of Christ. This church had commissioned them and commended them to the grace of God. They were sent out from this church. They were sent out. The whole understanding of being sent out by the body of Christ. And then they were received back by the body of Christ. And they gathered the church together and they told what God was doing. Remember, this had never happened before. These were the first missionaries that had actually been commissioned by a church. They went out. The Gentiles had received. They came back. They talked about it. If you read in the Gospels, you'll see Jesus would sometimes send out the disciples two by two. They'd come back and they'd report together. And now you see the church doing the same sort of thing. And in this church, it was not run by apostles only. There was Paul there, there was Barnabas, but there were others that were elders. And you see that the transition is occurring even in the church of Jerusalem. The apostles are no longer running the church of Jerusalem. There's more and more elders being appointed. Because the apostles are getting old. They're going to be dying out. They had to appoint elders in the churches. But you see the relationship, the community. You will not understand the community of the body of Christ. Hear me. You will not understand the community of the body of Christ without getting involved with the local church. And I am all for campus groups. I am very supportive of campus groups. I got saved through Navigator's Campus Ministry. I work with campus groups. Anytime a campus group asks me to come and speak, I speak every time. I'll fit it into my schedule and I'll come and speak because this is important to me. I know the work that they do and it is wonderful. But you must learn to have community as well through the body of Christ. You must. This is where you get strengthened. This is where you get built up. And the campus group will go away as soon as you graduate. You will not always live on campus. There's only a few of us, like me, that have never left campus. I've never grown up. I've never had a real job. And I'm still in this, this campus community. But the vast majority of you will forever be gone from campuses. And you need to learn to relate to the body of Christ. And you do not learn community by attendance. You do not. You learn community by participation. And you learn community by learning to share with one another. And that's why... We ha I have this sense of community with the body of Christ. Paul was sent out by the body of Christ. He was received back. When you're going on the mission field, talk to the body of Christ. Talk to me. I'll put you in contact with, with Chad. Let the church send you out with their blessing. There is a covering and a blessing. When you come back, give a report to the body of Christ, the people that supported you, the people that stood with you. Some students, they'll, they'll gladly take the support from West U, you, you know, and, and go out to East Asia. And they come back, not a word, not a word to the people who supported them, who prayed for them. You know, your name is putting it on a list, and believe it or not, there are people who will pray, pray for you. When you send out, come back, talk to Chad that you'd like to share a word with the people that, 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 uh, um, that stood with you. Write something and distribute it to them. Learn to relate to the body of Christ. And if you do this, the next time you go out, they'll be all the more willing to give to you. You know, people do this in business. They, 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 they realize a customer has brought something 
has bought something from them and they have customer service. They take care of their customers. In the body of Christ, we blow them off. This is understanding of the community of the body of Christ. It is a good thing. And what happens is you get so much more out of it. You know, I can't miss a day of church without telling somebody. Can you imagine if I... Where's Dr. Tour? Oh, he, he didn't show up today. Just to say, No, I can't do that because I have responsibility. But even if I don't have responsibility, I can't do it. So I attend a men's meeting through the church. So the church has, a, has a, a men's meeting once a week, and I go to this thing. But if I can't go once I'm committed to going, even though I have no formal role there, you know, there's a teaching there. I don't give the teaching. Then we just kind of sit around and talk. I've got to send a message. I don't have to, but I do. To, to Roger or to Mike and say, hey, I'm going to be out of town this week. I won't be there. Well, why do I have to do this? Can I go? I'm free to go, right? Who am I? Why do I have to tell somebody I'm not going to be there? I don't have to. But because of the sense of community I have, if I'm not there, they're going to notice I'm not there and be concerned for me. And so I tell them, hey, I'm not going to be there. I'll give you another example. There's a, there's a young man who, who used to participate in this class. A wonderful young man, and he's graduated now. And so much so that he used to even help us with, with, the, uh, with, with the Lord's Supper service, and he used to even officiate that. And then one day he, he called us up and he said he wanted to come and talk with, with Shireen and I. And he came over to our house. He said, you know, I feel that the Lord really wants me serving in such and such a ministry in such and such a capacity through this other church. And we were so happy for him. And we blessed him and said, you know, we concur. You could have a great ministry. You are a faithful young man. You could have a tremendous ministry through that body of Christ. And we got on our knees together and we prayed for him and we blessed him. And so whenever that young man is coming back to visit my home on a Sunday for lunch, Shireen knows he's coming. Shireen will find out what he likes to eat and cook specifically what he likes to eat. She does this for this guy. And it's nobody here. This guy's already graduated. It's not that we're upset that he left. We're glad. We're glad that he felt he got built up enough he could go and bless another body of Christ. But what the guy did, he didn't just say, well, I feel being, I'm being called, and then just disappear. He felt that there was a community here, that we had a relationship, that there were people that cared about him. And this guy was one of the guys that if he was going to miss a Sunday, he'd always send me an email. You know, I'm going to be with the campus group and such and such a thing. And I was happy for that because then I knew he was okay. Because if he wasn't here, I did miss him. And you see, there was that sense of community. And now what the guy's done, he's gone on, he's left, and he reports back how he's having people to his little apartment and having them over to eat. And, you know, things that he had learned from Shireen, he's doing. You know, so he's inviting friends over and cooking for them and doing these little things. And, and Shireen told him, you know, you know, it's not the food, don't worry about cooking. Even if you just get Subway sandwiches and cut them out, just invite your friends over. And you see, there's a relationship here that has gone on beyond his graduation. And we love this guy. This is part of understanding the community of the body of Christ. This is what's being displayed to us here by Paul. There's this sense of community in the body of Christ, where Paul is relating and saying, hey, let's get the church back together. Let's talk about what we did. The body of Christ comes together. We cannot get community in this class, it is too big. 
But what you can do is, as you get plugged into different ministries, there's a community. So, so Jonathan Lowe is not here today. He, is, he, he was with the summit weekend with the kids. So the middle schoolers love this guy. And he's just a regular college student, just like you. And he has all the workload that you do, but he got plugged in in, in working with the youth. And he is plugged in now, and he's loved by all these kids. And so my son comes home and talks about how all the kids really like Jonathan. Jonathan is really cool. And so if you want to know who a cool guy is, it's Jonathan. All the kids say so because he talks to all the kids. He relates to them. And and even if he's not a good basketball player, he tries to play, play basketball with them. He tries to relate to them. He's plugged into the body of Christ. And so he feels a connection here. There's been other guys who who are graduated who got involved with the choir. And we've had other young ladies get involved with the choir. The the median age in the choir is probably like 70. And and so when college students get involved, there's this this group of of elderly believers around this person so excited to have a a, a college student sing with them. And, and, uh, And there's this immediate home and this family sort of atmosphere. And all of a sudden, they, they have like ten grandmothers and ten grandfathers. Immediately. There's this sense of the body of Christ, and it comes by involvement. And I'm not getting on your case. I'm really not. Because most of us have never learned this. We've never learned the importance of this. This is why I'm telling you this. Not because I'm frustrated. I'm not. I really like you guys. I want you guys to understand the community of the body of Christ and what that means. So that you can begin to experience this. And then when you leave this place, you don't just disappear. That you tell people, hey, you know, I'm graduating. You know, thank you so much for what you've done. And, and pray for me that I find another church that I can relate to. And, and there's this body of Christ. And then the Lord places you in another city, in another place, in another ministry. And there you have this sense of family. You, you know, I was this wandering Jew all through the early years of my marriage. So, Shireen and I, we met in New York State, I, I, so, and then we moved to Indiana, we moved to Wisconsin, we moved to California, we moved to South Carolina, and so we were moving all over. And so you'd think that we, it, we'd, it'd be all up, upsetting for my wife, who really loves the home and, the, and, and her friends and everything, but it wasn't, because we would immediately get tied in with the body of Christ, and women would come around her, and she'd start attending the women's meetings, and, and within two months of coming to a city, we had this circle of friends. My children had a circle of friends through the Sunday school classes in local churches, I had a circle of, of friends, but for me it wasn't as bad because I was at work every day, so I had the community of where I was going to work. But especially for her, because she was home with little kids, and all of a sudden there was this community of women around her. Very, very important to establish this for a woman, to have this circle of friends that she can begin to relate to. And there were these young moms who were going through the same struggles. And so although we were moving from city to city because of my education, we never felt like we were apart from the body of Christ. We would cry and say goodbye to old friends. I wouldn't cry. She would cry. And we'd say goodbye to old friends. But we'd meet new ones. And I feel enriched having been in all these different places. And we can go back to all sorts of cities and have a place to stay. Because of the body of Christ. Because of the people who touched us and we touched their, their lives. This community of the body of Christ is displayed here in the book of Acts. 
And this is something that I pray that you would learn to get hold of. But remember, attendance doesn't do it. It almost, it, it, it almost wars against it because it can give a false sense of community. It's getting plugged in where your life becomes part of another person's life. Where they depend on you and you depend on them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Scriptures. The way the Scriptures teach us and instruct us. Father, thank you for the body of Christ, for the body of believers that has sustained me and sustained my family in our times of, of, of hardship, of struggle, of pain. And Father, I pray for these young people that they too would understand the body of Christ, learning how to relate in the body of Christ, learning the fellowship that comes through the local church, through the body of believers, as Paul was establishing little churches in all these cities that he preached in, that had elders. And Father, I pray that they would understand the community that is there in relation to the body of Christ, that their lives, these young people right here, would impact others in the body of Christ. And so in return, they would receive back many blessings. Father, I pray for them, that you would build in them this sense of community through service. In the name of Jesus, amen.